Welcome to another episode of the Amford Church Sermon Podcast. We're thrilled that you're taking the time to listen to what we have to say about God, the world, and you. These sermons are recorded live during our weekly Sunday morning services. To find out more about us or to plan a visit to join us, check out our website, amfordchurch.com. Again, thanks for listening and enjoy. It is not fair, is it? I wonder how often you've heard those words before. If you're a parent, I imagine it's probably every day, or a teacher, especially a primary school teacher, or a teacher of naughty kids. I imagine you'll you'll have heard that kind of thing quite a lot. I heard it just last night. I've been thinking about that subject a lot this week, so it struck me again. But um, I was trying to get the kids quickly to bed. We had story time, Bible time, um, singing, prayer time, out on the landing upstairs, and I wanted them to get to bed as quickly as possible. So I said, right, race to see who can get in bed first. And so Miriam runs into, um, into the room, Johan into the room, and Miriam easily wins because Johan sleeps on the top bunk. So he has to climb up the ladder to get in. So he, obviously he was complaining, oh, it's not fair, it's not fair. It's not fair, is it? I mean, little things like that when you're a kid are not fair. But those words don't end when you graduate from primary school, do they? I wonder if you remember high school, maybe you're in high school at the moment, and it just isn't fair how other people, you know those people, who seem to do no work, but they just get really good grades, and you're struggling there, working really hard, but it just never comes out quite, quite as you hoped it would. Or those people who are more popular, but why? Why are they more beautiful than me? Why do people seem to get on better with them than me? Why has he got picked for that position and not me? And then it doesn't stop in high school either, does it? It continues into university, into the workplace, and you find somebody else who has the gift of the gab, or at least a little bit more than you do, and so they seem to get promoted. And they're the managers who don't do quite as much work as the rest of us. And who knows why? Well, just because people like people with the gift of the gab, don't they? Or the person who drives a nicer car than you. The person who really isn't very moral, very nice in their life, who isn't very polite, but they seem to, everything seems to go well with them promotions, nice car, nice house, easy life, healthy kids. And here I am struggling along. It's not fair, is it? And then it doesn't stop in that stage of life, does it? But it goes on and on, even into older age. And I wonder if you saw in the news in the last couple of weeks. Over 75s, I'm afraid, it won't be long before you're not allowed your free um, license, BBC license fee thing anymore. You all have to pay for it so that those fat cat BBC presenters who are all on millions and millions of pounds can have even more wages, and we at the bottom of the ladder have to pay our £120 a year or whatever it is. It's not fair, is it? There's so many things we can look around in life, we can look around in our culture. It's actually one of our favourite hobbies of our culture, especially if you're on Twitter, you'll see this a lot. Saying that things aren't fair, of watching out for injustices, of little unfairness between different groups of people or between whoever it is, and pointing those out and pointing the finger and piling on and trying to get them sorted out. Except that we're often not very good at sorting them out very fairly, are we? We often go a bit too far. Instead of just taking an eye for an eye, we take both eyes for an eye. Instead of just embarrassing somebody who's embarrassed us, we try and get them thrown out of the team or kicked off their job, or whatever, whatever it might be. We're not very good. We really want justice. We really want fairness, but we're often not very good at administering it. Now, there's maybe a few funny examples in there, some things which are pretty serious. The kind of nagging, frustrating, everyday unfairness of life. 
But I wonder if you saw the story break on Friday about much, much more serious unfairness, injustice. Not far away, not in you know, time, 200 years ago in southern states of America, slavery kind of thing, uh, not even far away geog- geographically in Rwanda or in Siberian gulags or somewhere like that, but an injustice that is here, possibly even in our town that we don't really see. Did you see the story on Friday of eight people, eight Polish people who'd been put in prison um, because they were trafficking people from their homeland over here? They went back and found fairly vulnerable people in trouble with the police, struggling financially, perhaps an addiction to alcohol or something like that. And they found people like that, and they said, oh, we can help you out. We'll take you to Britain. You know, things are much better. You'll have a new life there. It'll be, it'll be easier. We'll pay the travel costs. We'll have a job for you. You can send money back to your family. You can turn your life around, and we'll help you out. We'll be the ones who can do it. Do you know what they did when, when people said yes? They took them to a place in Birmingham and locked them in. Then every single thing that they gave them, every piece of food, every drink of water, every cigarette, every magazine or book or anything... And for every day they were there, they charged them a fee and put it down on a list. And eventually, when they let them out, they said, oh, by the way, you owe us all this money. But obviously, you have no way to pay it back. So come and work for us for a bit. And they enslaved them. And they paid them a little bit, I mean, pennies, but they controlled the bank accounts that they were paying the money into. And then they gave them alcohol and controlled them in all sorts of other other ways, watching them literally with cameras or just following them around the place. Did you see that story break? What did you feel, or what do you feel if you didn't see it when I'm telling you that story? How would you feel if you were one of those people who had your life taken from you, your dignity robbed of you, who had not just money, but precious years of your life taken from you by those modern slave traders? It's not something from a couple of hundred years ago that you watch in films about... um, about uh, what's his name, Wilberforce and co. It's happening in our streets today. Who knows where? It's hard to see, isn't it? They were talking on the news about how it hides in plain sight. But when you hear of stories of injustice like that, what do you feel? This is how one of the men who spoke up, and you can go and find it on the BBC News. I'm sure it'll still be quite high up on the list of, uh, of articles. He said this, summed it up in one sentence, I want them to pay for what they did. You can relate to that, can't you? It's not fair, so let's put it right. I want them to pay for what they did. You could sum it up in one word. What do we want? What do you feel? I hope you do anyway. Justice. That's what we want, isn't it? When you see stuff like that, that, I mean the small things like kids' races to the biggest things like slavery in our own streets. What do we want? Justice and fairness. And so we watch stories like that on the news we might even cry, we might struggle, we, we might even give and try and help out a little bit, but then we'll change the channel, and a day or so later, we've forgotten about it. We're on to something else. 100,000 people have been murdered here. 10,000 people have been enslaved over there. A million people are starving here, but we'll change the channel and forget about it in a couple of days. We do really care about justice, aren't we? But we're really mixed up people. We care about justice, but at the same time, we often don't do an awful lot about justice. I don't know, how do we put all this together? How do we understand, is God a part of it? I mean, when we look at a world that's really unfair, that's full of injustice, can we look at that world and say, well, yeah, well, that's God's responsibility. 
That's what he's like. He's put us in this world. He's made it, or so you Christians believe. And so he can't be a very good God. Or at least, at best, he's really mixed up, isn't he? Because the world is beautiful. The world has so much richness and, and beauty and, good, and goodness. So many people who are fighting injustice. So many cultures and things that, uh, that have been built so that we can stop injustice, so that we get a vote and we can kick out rulers that we don't like every couple of years. That's a pretty good system, isn't it? We built that. The world is full of good stuff, but also full of horror, dripping with evil. I like to think of it like a... I don't like to think of it, but it's a helpful picture to think of it as like a castle, an ancient castle that was built beautifully and wonderfully, that housed kings and queens and princes and all sorts of games and jousting and feasts and all of that, but that has been taken over by ivy. And as the years have gone by, that ivy has grown into not just little tendrils that are going to go up a tree in your garden, but into great tree trunks that are ripping the walls apart. You can go and visit this castle. It's probably a National Trust place by now, but you can go and visit it, and it'll be fun to play and fun to walk around in. It'll be glorious and still have quite a lot of beauty, but really it's been torn down and shredded. It's been crushed. That ivy is slowly choking it to death. That's where we live. That's the world that we live in, a world that's beautiful, that's made really good, but that's infected. So we can often just not really tell what's parasite and what's reality, what's good and what's bad. Where does it end and where does it begin? What about when I look at myself? I look down at my feet and I realize that ivy's grown up my feet as well and is choking me. And so that the things that I buy, the things that I watch, the things that I say and do are even part of that parasite, part of that ivy that's choking and crushing others and breaking our worlds. So when we look around at a world like that and ask, okay, what does God think about injustice? We might say, well, God is just like that. He's mixed up. Plenty of world religions say this kind of thing. He's really powerful, so I suppose we should bow the knee to him. But, but we can't really trust him. He doesn't really seem to care all that much about injustice. So just do what you can. Um, hope for the best. You know, work at it if, if you want to, if that's what you feel like doing. But we're not really sure that God cares all that much. We're not really sure that he's good. Perhaps we're not even sure if he exists at all. So what does God think about injustice, and what are we going to do about it? There's two questions we're going to try and answer today. I want you to open with me to Psalm 10. And before we read Psalm 10, I'm going to read to you some very famous verses, verses where God himself tells us what he's like. These are from Exodus chapter 34. Moses, um, Moses was a man who led the people of Israel, a very important character in kind of old um, Bible history. Moses met God face to face. And God told him, as Rodri was saying last week, he told him his name. His name is I am who I am, which is good, but it's not very helpful to help us know who you are or what God that God is like. We know that he is, that he is the great God of highest heaven. But what's he like? Well, he carries on a few verses later and says this, I am the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, I'm the one who does not leave the guilty unpunished. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, and yet not leaving the guilty unpunished. That's the kind of God that we want, isn't it? We look out at the world and it's a bit of a confusing picture about what God is like, but then we look to the Bible and it's really, really clear 
That is what God is like. The world is full of injustice. It's really mixed up. But God isn't mixed up. God is compassionate and gracious. He looks after the victims. And for those who are guilty, those who have chosen to take the side of the ivy and love crushing others because it helps them feel strong or it gives them something or whatever, God opposes those people. He says he won't clear them. They won't get away with it. That's who God says he is. So let's read Psalm 10. Let me read it to you, and we'll see how this works out in practice. Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In his arrogance, the wicked man hunts down the weak who are caught in the schemes he devises. He boasts of, of the cravings of his heart. He blesses the greedy and reviles the Lord. In his pride, the wicked doesn't seek him. In all his thoughts, there's no room for God. His ways are always prosperous. He's proud, haughty, and your laws are far from him. He sneers at all his enemies. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. His mouth is full of curses and lies and threats. Trouble and evil are under his tongue. He lies in wait near the villages. From ambush, he murders the innocent, watching in secret for his victims. He lies in wait like a lion in cover. He lies in wait to catch the helpless. He catches the helpless and drags them off in his net. His victims are crushed. They collapse. They fall under his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face. He never sees. Arise, Lord. Lift up your hand, O God. Do not forget the helpless. Why does the wicked man revile God? Why does he say to himself, he won't call me to account? But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim comes himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness that wouldn't be found out, even the stuff done in secret. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them. You listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that man, who is of the earth, may, ter- may terrify no more. I wonder if you've spotted the two halves of that psalm. They're a bit like the two halves of how we see the world, aren't they? The first half is just a description of what it's like to live, to cry out to God, and, and it seems like he's far away. It seems like he doesn't care much. Where are you? you hear that at the beginning? Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Why do rich people get away with getting richer by oppressing people? Why do murderers get away with, with murdering weak people? Why do people commit genocide and just seem to step off into the sunset? Why is it that we can only get one or two people through the International um, Criminal Tribunal at The Hague, only one or two, and it takes them decades And yet hundreds of people did those crimes. It's not fair, Lord. Where are you? Is is there any justice? And then there's a description of all the different kinds of injustice that we see, of deceit, simple lying, of being unjust, of pressing people down by not telling them the truth. This crushing of the helpless. There's the seizing of the poor and oppressing them. Those people in difficult situations making their situation even more difficult it's kind of easy to take from them to build yourself up. And the murderer, they're really, really serious. So they're fairly normal and everyday. 
And it doesn't just give us a description of what happens. There's a why as well. Did you spot this? Verse 11. His victims are crushed, they collapse, they fall under his strength. Why? Because he says to himself, God has forgotten. He covers his face and never sees. Verse 13, he won't call me to account. That's why there's injustice in the world, because we've turned away and forgotten about God. Because we think that God doesn't exist. Because we think there's nobody to call us to account. Because we think we're the centres of the world, that my desires, my needs, what I want to do, my ambitions, are really the centre of everything. And everybody else here is to serve me. God doesn't listen. He's not in the picture. He either doesn't exist or he doesn't care. And so I can do what I want. That's the motto of, of the unjust. That's the motto of the oppressor, isn't it? Nobody will ever see. Nobody will ever call me to account. I'm going to get away with it. It's fine. But it isn't fine. And the oppressor won't get away with it. There is real hope. I wonder if, you, as you read that, it kind of evokes the same kind of reaction as that BBC story the stories of slavery and struggle that we see in the world. When you read about injustice and you say, God, would you see things? Would you do something? Would you care and would you act? That's what the psalmist says. And then he has really good news for us in verse um, 14. But you, O God, do see trouble and grief. You consider it and you take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. So break the arm of the wicked. Stop them doing it. Cut away their strength. And would you come and give them what they deserve? Call them to account for their wickedness. It's a great cry of hope, isn't it? It's really good news as well. If you're a victim who has no power, even the most powerful people in society who are supposed to help you, if even they are against you, where can you turn? When your whole life has been just one catalogue of unfairness after unfairness, and here you are at the bottom of the heap, and all those people are up there, Where do you turn? Does anybody see? Will anybody put it right? Well, he says, yeah, God, you do see. You consider it. And you don't just see it, but you take it in hand. I wonder if you've ever thought, what stops justice happening in the world? I reckon there's three things. We're going to pop them up on the screen. Here we go. So what keeps us from doing, uh, doing justice? One is that we're oblivious to it. The news helps us not be that oblivious, but often we just don't see it, or we change the channel and forget about it. Our minds are pretty good at that. That's one thing, that you just don't know that it's happening, and so you can't go and fix it. If you don't know, you don't see it. What's the other thing? Powerlessness. Maybe you do see it, and you do feel it, but you just have no power to stop it. That's maybe often why we change the channel, because we could give a few pounds, we can say a few prayers, but other than that, that, maybe we feel completely powerless. And the third one, compassionlessness. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you are powerful to do something about it, but you just don't care. But God isn't like that. Did you see how he turns those three upside down? God, you see trouble and grief. So he knows about it. You consider it and you take it in hand. He does something about it too, and he has the power. The Lord is king forever and ever. He's king over all of the nations. And does he care? Well, of course he cares. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage. You listen to their cry and you defend the fatherless and the oppressed. And what's the result of that? It's amazing that we don't need to be terrified anymore. That those who are victims, who are at the bottom of the heap, don't have to be scared anymore. There is somebody 
more powerful than any other power. There is somebody who, who knows even better than you, who remembers and sees and experiences every little last injustice and who feels them acutely, who is compassionate, who loves. It's easy for us to switch the channel, isn't it? And just kind of stop that horrible feeling that we get when we see people suffering. But God can't change the channel. Even if he could, I don't think he would. And so imagine the pain that he bears to see people, you and me, and everyone around the world bearing suffering, the suffering we inflict on each other, the suffering that that parasite comes in and crushes us down into. Imagine how he sees and feels those victims of abuse, those people who have PTSD and just relive it over and over again, those people trapped in addictions. Uh, Maybe there's many of us in this room who have real struggles with different kinds of oppression from the kind of everyday, regular garden variety to the apocalyptic stuff. Well, God sees that and he feels that and he's going to do something about it. In fact, he has done something about it, but maybe we don't feel that. So what on earth do we do when we read the end of the psalm and we say, Lord, it's good, it's wonderful news that you're like this. I love the idea that there would be no more terrifying people on earth because God would rule over everything, but there are terrifying people. It was only on Friday that the news broke about those people who were enslaved. And I'm sure there's many, many hundreds, perhaps thousands of others in our country. And there's plenty of injustice still around the world. There's so much pain. So why isn't it ended yet if you're really like this? God, maybe you don't exist at all. Maybe this is just made up. It's somebody's wish dream, somebody's pipe dream of what God might be like. Well, there's a couple of things that would help us if that's our thinking. When we still see injustice and believe that there is a God who can do something about it, how do we put that together? Well, think back to last week. If you were here, Rodri gave us a big picture of eternity. Do you remember with a line in the middle and that line was time, the big black space was eternity. We live in time, don't we? So imagine this. Imagine this person who's unjust, who's getting away with it, who says there's nobody watching, nobody cares. Imagine him like a casino robber who's got huge armfuls of cash. He's running through the casino, huge smile on his face. You can, if you could see his dreams, it's amazing. He's dreaming about the, the pool there, all the ladies there, all of the, um, the wealthy stuff that he can buy. His life's going to be amazing. He's the happiest man and the richest man in Las Vegas in that very moment. It's amazing. But wind the story on, just a few seconds, and you'll see him run out the casino door and the security guard catch him on the bridge of his nose with a truncheon. And the next thing he knows, he wakes up in hospital. His face has been rearranged. All the money is gone, and all those dreams have disappeared. One moment, he was the happiest man in the world. The next moment, judgment has come. Justice has come down right on his nose. Well, to God, every moment is soon. We might look around and say, that person is getting away with it. That's not fair. God, why won't you do something? Just wind history on a few moments. It won't be long before God brings everybody to account, before God brings justice. So what we're seeing at the moment when we see unjust people getting away with it, we're seeing them running through the casino with their armfuls of cash. But judgment's on the way. The Bible's very clear about that. Perhaps something very uncomfortable and something very unpopular. But it's very clear that the world is going towards an end, to a day when everybody will be called to account. Christians, not Christians, religious, non-religious, believe in Jesus, believe he's a complete myth. It doesn't really matter. There is a day when you'll face him. 
where he will ask what you've done with your life and everything, whether you like it or not, will be laid out in front of him and he will make a judgment on your life. That's really good news, isn't it? Isn't that amazing news? That those people who are getting away with it won't just have to spend... I mean, those enslavers who enslaved hundreds of people, do you know how many years they've got? Between four and 11. Doesn't seem to be fair, does it? But there'll be a day when God will put it all right because he sees everything, he sees what everyone deserves, and he will give it to them. He will give it to you on that day and then for eternity. That's really good news, isn't it? For, for us, for those people who've been victimized, who've been struggling, who've been abused, to know that that person isn't going to get away with it anymore. It doesn't rely on the police to catch them, although that's really good and we should report stuff and trust our authorities. It doesn't rely on, uh, on our justice system. It relies on God, who's perfectly just, and will call everybody to account one day. So let's draw a little league table up for a second. Who would you put in the categories that you really want God to deal with? Let's put in the top, abusers. Hitler, Stalin, okay, they're given, they can be under the category of their own. And all of those nasty people like that. Maybe, we, if, maybe the world would be a much better place if God just got rid of them and judged them. Wonderful. What about the next category down? Who would be in that category for you? Unjust politicians. Um, I don't know. Money lenders who rip off poor people. Okay, fine. All right, we'll get rid of those people as well. They can be judged. They're the nasty, evil ones. Go a category further down. Can you see where we're going? I don't know, traffic wardens, lawyers, apart from Jamie Hers. Um, people, and then as you go the categories further and further down, as we look to that day of judgment and look forward to God getting rid of evil and rooting out all of that parasite and rebuilding that castle to something even more beautiful than before, do you realize what's happening? That we're getting closer and closer to me and to you. And so we need not just one change of perspective to zoom out in time and kind of see that God is going to bring judgment and he will put it right, but we need a second change of perspective. We need a new perspective on ourselves. I wonder if I was reading that, as I was reading that Psalm 10, whose perspective were you reading it from? As I was reading it, were you cheering on the victims and going, yes, I'm a victim a bit like this, maybe not as bad, but you know, I've been through stuff and so I'm glad that God is going to punish, punish the oppressors. I bet almost everybody, in fact, I would pretty much bet my house that there isn't a single one of us going through this and reading, wow, I am such an oppressor, just like these people. I bet there's very, very few of us in this room who read it from that perspective. We often, so often, put ourselves down on that lower category, don't we? The people who haven't done all that badly. If we've been a part of oppression and injustice and unfairness, it was probably by accident, or at least we didn't mean to. Or, or if we did, really deep down, we're good people. We hear that, don't we hear that all the time? Every TV show I think I've ever seen, don't worry, you're a good person. Even when somebody's done something horrendous, don't worry, they're a good person really deep down. We can't bear thinking about somebody being judged, somebody who we like at least, who seems a nice person most of the time, actually being somebody who deserves to be wiped away. Do you see, it gets very uncomfortable, doesn't it? It's obvious why it's unpopular. Because the closer you get, or the further you go down that list, the closer you get to me. If God is going to fix the world by getting rid of all that evil, by uprooting all that parasite, well, if that ivy, that parasite, has crept its way all the way up and into and through me, well, I'll have to get rid of me as well. Because it's not, at least I can't, divide and work out where good begins and, and evil ends in my own heart. 
One famous author put it like this, a man called Solzhenitsyn. He spent 20 years or so in um, Soviet gulags for writing a letter which made some jokes about Stalin. I've been reading his book at bedtime. Um, yeah, makes for some strange dreams. Anyway, this is what he said. You can imagine him being bitter, can't you? After 20 years, or imagine him looking down on those evil people who put him in that camp and kept him there for such a ridiculous offence. But he said this, if only it were so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds somewhere out there, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart. And who's willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? I, I don't think Solzhenitsyn was a Christian, but he's getting very close to something Jesus himself said. Do you remember? We read it in Mark. That out of the, the heart come evil deeds. It's not like our hearts are good and kind of out here on our fingers and our tongues we do bad stuff now and again by accident. Jesus says it's out of our hearts. We're, we're capable of such good and yet also dripping with evil, with injustice, with unfairness. We often just don't even notice it. We're so used to that parasite creeping up and through us. Solzhenitsyn says that line goes through every heart. So if you want to get rid of evil and injustice, if you want to tear out all of that ivy, you're going to have to tear the whole building down. You're going to have to tear out your own heart. And who's willing to do that? Not me. You? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? But I don't want to apologize because it's really important that we understand who we really are and why the world is as it is and why we haven't really got much better over the centuries. We just got more efficient at abusing each other and at keeping it at arm's length. We need to be honest about who we are and to, to be honest that we're in a bit of a dilemma, aren't we? That when we're victims, we love the idea of a God who punishes evil. And that's good. That's exactly as it should be. But when we realize that we're not always 100% victims, that there's a bit of an oppressor in all of us, we don't want him to be judge at all. We'd rather he didn't exist. We'd rather say things like, oh, no, good. God is just lovely, and, and, and he'll, he, he doesn't mind what you do. He'll accept you whoever you are, unconditionally. It doesn't matter. He just will let you get away with it. He'll forgive you. He's a God of love, isn't he? Now, to say that is 100% true. God is a God of love. God is a God of forgiveness. But it also massively misunderstands love if you say that he can't also be angry or that he cannot also judge. Jamie will open this up for us a bit more next week when we talk about God being merciful. And how justice and mercy, how fairness and forgiveness aren't opposed to each other. But let me read to you something um, Becky Pippett has to say. Can we have that one up? Here we go. Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. If you love someone, how do you feel when, when they're being destroyed or destroying themselves? Do we respond with benign, in, benign tolerance as we might towards strangers? Do you just not really care when you see someone you love suffering? being abused. Far from it. Anger is the opposite of love. So anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. I think this is brilliant. The final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath, his anger at our wrongness, at our oppression of each other, small and the large, God's anger is not a cranky explosion, but it's his settled opposition to the cancer which is eating out the insides of the human race he loves with his whole being. Do you know why God is so angry at sin? Do you know why there's that day when he's going to put everything right? Because he loves us. Because he loves humanity. He loves that building that he made. 
those people that he put in it to dwell there. And he hates that parasite that is taking it over and tearing it down and ripping its beauty and stealing its joy. He hates all the stuff that is unfair. And that's really, really good. It shows that he's actually a loving God. I mean, if he wasn't like that, he'd be much more like one of the evil emperors. I've mentioned him before, Emperor Palpatine, if you've ever watched Star Wars. And so if he didn't punish evil, he'd be somebody hateful. He wouldn't be a God worthy of worship. We shouldn't be following him and lifting up songs of worship to him. We should be freedom fighters against him and plotting his downfall. That's what we should be gathering for on Sundays. If he was just a God who let everybody get away with it and never punished anything evil, he would be evil. And he would not be worthy of a second moment of your thoughts unless it was to try and bring him down. Do you understand that? It's the God that our culture loves to say, isn't it? Oh, God is just a pure God of love who forgives everything. But he would be evil if he did that. I hope we see that. It begins to weigh on your heart. To let people get away. To let those... It would be evil of us, wouldn't it? To catch those people enslaving. And then you say, oh, don't worry about it. It's all right. It's okay. We love you. You're forgiven. No, somebody has to pay. Justice has to be done. It's a sad thing. It's a hard thing. It's a painful thing. But justice has to be done. None of us are 100% victims. So we stand really between a rock and a hard place, don't we? We want God to judge and to sweep away wrong. We want him to dry every tear. But if he, if he was going to do that, he has to wipe us away as well. So is there another way? Is there some way that he can be good and just and do what's right, but at the same time forgive and, and let us off and show us his love? and bring us in and rebuild that building and put us in it, not just brand new people he got from somewhere else, but us. Is there somewhere he could restore us? So let me give you just a little hint towards next week. And if you're not here next week, then this is the good news for you. God presented Jesus. Sorry, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not what we should be. All of us are mixed up with our ivy. And we're... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but, and, are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, in his patience, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so he could be the just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Some maybe big theological words in there you haven't come across before, but justify, that means to call somebody right, to say they're okay, to say you don't need punishment, you don't need to be corrected. You are whole and you are welcome to be a part of God's family. You're welcome to come home to that castle that he's rebuilt. Do you see what he's saying there? Maybe lots of things that have gone over our heads a little bit, but that in Jesus, he's the key. Not what I can do to root out injustice, but on Jesus who came to take what we deserve, to to take God's anger on his own shoulders and then to welcome us, forgiven, into his kingdom. See, God poured out his anger on Jesus. That's justice. And because Jesus has taken it, God can come to us now. We can come to him and know that we're free. Know that even though we deserve to be swept away just like Jesus was, and we can come to him and know that he's our father. Give you a quick illustration of of that. 
Um, think of a judge. If I have a speeding fine, and I, I go to the judge, and the judge says, oh, okay, don't worry, you can, you can go free without paying the fine. That's mercy at the expense of justice, isn't it? That's kind of forgiveness, but justice isn't done. And what does it teach the rest of society? That is fine, that nobody's going to um, pay the consequences. You can do what you like. And so injustice will reign and just get worse and worse and worse. That's not what happens with God. He doesn't just let us off with it. You know, he takes it and, and, it, and pays it on somebody else. Jesus, who is God himself, takes that away, pays the cost for it so that we can go free. It's as if the judge himself pays the fine and says, now you can go free. The fine's been paid and you are free, paid by somebody else. You see, Jesus is the one who took that himself. Jesus is the one who sets us free. Jesus is the one who's the middle way between having a God who punishes justice, and that's wonderful, and a God who lets us free and is forgiven. He's the one who brings those two things together. He's the one in whom anger and mercy kiss, as a famous Welsh song says. Maybe that's all been a bit hard and heavy for you today. Let me try and finish with a couple of encouragements, um, things that we can do, a kind of so what, as we've been finishing with in the last few weeks. So here we go. So what? Well, we need to get on our knees, don't we? We need to realize who we truly are. If we don't realize it, if we think that justice is still out there, well, then I'm afraid we're very naive. We need to realize who we really are and what we're a part of. And so we should get on our knees and say sorry to God and say sorry to other people. If you've wronged somebody and you know it, we should go and say sorry to them and put it right and do justice. And really, we've wronged God, haven't we? We've lived in his world and torn it apart from the inside. We've been a part of that ivy. It's not just something that happens to us. It's something that we feed and water and fertilize and encourage. We've been a part of that. And so we need to say sorry to him for being unfair to him, for being unjust, for not giving him what he deserves and living in his world as he's made us to. So, so what? Get on your knees. I'll do it too. Each one of us, whether you're a Christian and have been for a long time or haven't yet come to him, that's the first step, isn't it? To recognize what we've done and come to him and say, Lord, I want you to be a God of justice. But if you are, that means big trouble for me. So would you forgive me? Would you make what Jesus did count for me so I can come and know you? And not just know you and kind of have some hope for when I die, but the three other things... Let's go back to those three things. What stopped us from doing, doing justice? Well, being oblivious, being powerless, and being compassionless, compassionless. So let's flip those around together as church folks. Let's not be obliv- oblivious. Let's get informed. Don't change the channel. Keep it there. Read. Ask each other how life is going. Get to know each other and, and then pray for each other. That's one thing we can do, isn't it? So don't be oblivious. And also realize we're not powerless. There's plenty we can do, especially in our democratic society. There's plenty we can do if we get together and get organized and fight injustice. We do that a little bit as a church, don't we, with Food Bank. We serve and help at that. And we do it in supporting Christians Against Poverty who help folks in debt. There's folks in this room who help folks with addictions and that kind of thing. There's plenty that we do already, but why don't we do more? God has called us to be people who love justice and mercy, who are like him. He's called us to be his hands in the world who go and fix injustice. So let's not complain at him that the world is unjust. Let's go and do our bit. Let's get together and realize we're not powerless. The biggest thing we can do is to pray. It's not a small thing at all. If this is what God is really like, if he cares far more than us, has far more power than us, if he really is compassionate and he knows even better than us what to do, he's wise, 
then he's the one we should come and pray to and ask for wisdom to go and do justice. And then finally, if you're compassionless, what do you do about that? It's a tricky one, isn't it? How do you change your emotions? I think there's a, a couple of things we could do. One is to pray and, and ask and say, Lord, would you help me? I am so cold. I just prefer to change the channel and never think about this and be comfortable. Would you help me to, to be warm? Would you help me to cry when I see that stuff? Would you help me to feel it like you feel it? I know a man who's died now in our old church um, where we went to when we first got married. He was, as he was growing up, he realized he was becoming a grumpy old man. And so he prayed. Um, he was the captain of the Logos ship, I think, back in the day. But anyway, he prayed and asked God to, to take this grumpiness away, to make him somebody who felt compassion and empathy for others, who loved others and felt mercy for them rather than just being angry and frustrated and grumpy all the time. And by the time I met him and got to know him, he cried almost every time you met him. You could talk about anything and it would move him to tears, especially when he prayed. When he prayed for other people, he could barely get to the end of his prayers. He was just moved all of the time. So pray, and the Lord will pour into our hearts the spirit of truth to help us see reality and feel it and give us strength to do something about it. So if you're compassionless, well, pray. Watch. Get to know people, and then let's get together. Let's not be oblivious. Let's not just sit around in in powerlessness. Let's take what God has given to us and go and do justice. One verse to finish with. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a good and just God. That's something so uncomfortable and and really hard to think about. It's something that, um, that makes us uncomfortable, something that is really difficult to say in our culture. And yet, Lord, it's really good news. Good news for those who are victims. Good news for those who have suffered at the hands of oppression. And yet, Lord, we recognize as well that each one of us isn't clean from that. None of us, none of us are free from having blood on our hands. So, Lord, would you make us people who feel compassion for those who are victims? Would you help us be people who are repentant, who are sorry for our part in that, even if it feels small? Would you help us to come to you in prayer, to say sorry for our part in it? Would you help us to get together and be creative and draw on your power as we go out to the world to love people? And would you, most of all, Father, would you help us to be like Jesus as we see the world? Help us to have compassion. Help us to go and do what we can and help us to live lives um, that make people um, see you more clearly in the world as the God of justice, the God who helps, the God who loves to bind up the brokenhearted. Amen. We hope that you found today's message useful and challenging. And we want to take a moment to offer you some next steps that you can take right now. Why not get in touch with us via email at contact at amfordchurch.com if you have any follow-up questions or things that you'd like to discuss. If you want to know more about what's going on at Amford Church, make sure to like us on Facebook. And lastly, check out our YouTube channel for video teaching in addition to our sermon podcasts. Thanks for listening.